Good morning and welcome family. If you're a mom, an extra special shout out to you today. We hope that you woke up to some sweet spoils and words of appreciation. If you haven't yet, remember to show your mom some love today for the endless sacrifices she makes daily. Right now, let's focus on our God in heaven who's a faithful father to all of us. Please join us as we worship him.
confidence, my confidence, my confidence, my is a faithfulness. Now it's in your promises, my confidence is your faithfulness. Now it's in your promises.
as I rise, strength of God, go before and lift me up, and as I wave, eyes of God, look upon, be my son. Lord, we want to come to you. We want to come to the altar today. We want to declare, Lord, that you are more than enough for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this wonderful day. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is in our hearts, that is in every house, that is in every watch party. Lord, we want to come today and we want to learn from you. So come and be with us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, thank you for your giving. As always, we want to take up the offering right now. You will see the information that will come on your screens. And we just really want to say thank you. Thank you for being such a faithful church. Thank you for giving. And I want to encourage you that whatever you need in this moment, just trust God for that. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. So if you need a job, if you have any financial need in any way, any kind of need, we are trusting with you that God will provide for you. So thank you for your giving. We appreciate it. Mother's Day. This is a wonderful day for all the mothers out there. And if you are not a mother, I want to say you have a mother. So celebrate your mother today. I don't know about you and how you celebrate Mother's Day, but in my house, I don't even want breakfast. I don't want breakfast in bed. Or maybe I shouldn't say it, but you know, I don't want breakfast in bed. I don't want gifts. I don't want anything. But what I do want is I want sweet words. I want to know that all the suffering as a mother that I've just gone through, that they appreciate it. So I don't know how you celebrate Mother's Day, but may you have a wonderful, wonderful day. And we have a great surprise for you. Our young people in the churches just came together and they wrote a poem for you. And we are now going to listen to that poem. Dear Mum, you are appreciated. At times these words aren't stated enough. That is what we are here to do. To show our appreciation and take our hats off to you. There are hardly any words to describe the world mothers make and consume and in love us in. How gracious is she to make shelter for me in her womb. To share her heartbeat. And make my home everywhere I go. The Queen. You wear the crown, but you don't fear getting down. And you are rolling up your sleeves to work. You're a stylist, clothed with strength and dignity. Who clothed me in the armor of God? Sometimes you wear the hat of a jovial jester. You laugh at the days to come. Sometimes that of a strict teacher, from whose tongue the weight and wisdom flows. Impeccable investigative skills, detective hats on. You make sure we lock the homes. We see a chef's hat and your sizzling sounds accompanied by the smell of a pleasant aroma. We tasted the good work of your hands. Now we get full like the fish that swallow Jonah. You do the things to make the pots be done. But when it's time to clean, sometimes I want to run. Mom is a worshiper who sang and danced incense into the nose of heaven. Mom is an intercessor who prayed Uphill battles into straight roads with pretty views. Okay, my mom is a great networker. She connected me to the great abundant life. Thank you, mom, for all the hats you wear. For showing us how deeply you care. In love, appreciation, and respect for the women we look up to. We, we honor you and take our hats off to you. I am really excited because we are starting a whole new series for the next eight weeks. 
we really feel that God wants to get a little bit more personal with us. So, uh, and he's been speaking to us about wells and water and waves. That's why this year, we, uh, we, our, our theme for the year is, is move with God. And we just felt to call this series Overflow because we just believe that God wants to overflow in your life, that he is the living water who wants to overflow. So that kind of led us to research a little bit about water in the Old Testament um, and some in the New Testament. And looking at cisterns, looking at wells, looking at fountains, rain, and just what God is saying to us and how he wants to get a little bit more personal with us. So I want to start off with a story of a woman at a well. This story is in Genesis 16, and you can read the story for yourself, but I am just going to tell you the story. So in the story, there's three characters. There's Abram, his wife Sarah, and then Hagar, the maidservant or the slave in the situation. Now, God promised Abram just that he would be a, a big nation. But the problem was that he and Sarah, they were barren. They didn't have any children. So uh, Sarah then decided she's going to give her maidservant, Hagar, to Abram to sleep with, and she would fall pregnant, which that's exactly what happened, is Hagar became pregnant with a, a, a child. She didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, but she got pregnant with a child. And then she felt uh, full of pride, and she, she kind of uh, lauded that over Sarah. And she just kind of, um, uh, you know, just became, uh, uh, just, you know, being somebody that is saying that I am better than you in that situation. Sarah did not respond well to that at all. Sarah then went to Abram and said to Abram, you put me in this position, which is funny because this was her idea, but you put me in this position, Abram. Um, what must I look at how uh, uh, Hagar is treating me? Uh, what, you must do something about it. And then Abram said to her, this is not my problem. This is your problem. She's your maidservant. Do with her whatever you want. So Sarah then went and mistreated Hagar completely and terribly. And Hagar eventually fled. And this is where we see at the end of Genesis 16 where, where Hagar finds herself in the wilderness. Where she is alone very lonely in her situation, in her traumatic um, experience that she's just um, experienced. And um, she's hungry. Uh, she's thirsty. And she's in danger because she's a woman all alone in the wilderness. And this, it is at this place, at this point in the story, where God reveals himself to Hagar. He reveals a well to her. 
Now a well was made up, or a well was dug um, in the ground, and uh, it, it was a well because it had living water. That means it had a, a river, um, a fountain, but something that was not stagnant at all. So he revealed this well to her, and he called her by name, her name, Hagar, and he asked her what her problem was. And then he said to her, she must go back to her mistress, to Sarah, because he then gave her a promise that she would have a son, which she didn't know, um, and he will call him uh, um, uh, Ishmael, and that would be the son of Abram and Hagar. So this is the story that we read about in Genesis 16. Now, I want to give you a little bit of cultural background first, and then I want to go into some of the consequences that is and the dynamics in this story, and then I want to go into what do we learn about God. So in Genesis 12, uh, this is the first time uh, when Abram was about 75 where God revealed himself to Abram. In Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abram, uh, a covenant that he would be a great nation. Only in Genesis 18 does uh, Sarah know about that she is part of this whole story. So in Genesis 16, she didn't know that she was going to bear a child at 90 years old. Can you imagine that? I can't even imagine to be pregnant at 90 years old. But she didn't know that at Genesis 16. So she was feeling this um, cultural pressure because she lived in a patriarchal society. And in a patriarchal society, there was a lot of pressure on the women to bear not just any child, but a son, to, to draw the, the, the lineage, to, to, to build the family name. So there was lots of pressure on her to solve this problem, and it was her problem to solve. It wasn't Abram's problem to solve, it was her problem to solve. On top of this, there was this promise that Abram will be this great nation. Now, I don't know what Sarah felt in her heart, but what she did was not an uncommon thing. Uh, she reverted back to culture. And in culture, in that this is about, if we talk about culture, we're talking about 2,000 years before Christ, in that vicinity, about two millennial, in that two millennials before Christ. This, this is the way that they solved these problems. They culturally, we read about it in um, uh, the law codes of Hammurabi, for instance, that Hammurabi, there was a, 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 a situation and it was part of his laws that he wrote, his 281 laws that he wrote. He wrote about um, that they, if, if a husband does not have a wife that produces children, he could take a slave to produce children uh, with, uh, with the husband. And and if she then becomes full of pride and uh, she is trying to see herself at the same position as the wife, then they can brand her and they can throw her in with the rest of the slaves, but they're not allowed to sell her. In the Neo and Old Assyrian laws, 
we see that while some of the nations in uh, Greater Mesopotamia in that time, uh, Amurabi was Babylonian, so that was the law code of the Babylonians. The Assyrians in uh, Neo in, uh, and Old Assyrian laws, we read about the, if you are in the same position, you can actually sell that slave. She doesn't even have to be part of this child's life because she becomes a surrogate for the woman, the wife, in this situation to, to produce a child to build the family name, the family lineage. So that's a little bit of where this comes from. So slave women or bond women, bond servants, were property or legal extensions of their mistresses. She would do various household tasks and also be a surrogate mother if needs be. So Sarah did this because she lived in a patriarchal society. She, she had that pressure on, on top of the, uh, the, the pressure of having to build the family name and then had the pressure of this promise that was spoken over Abram. So she went back to a cultural solution, which was a normal thing that people did in this so Sarah found a solution from her context to a problem that could actually only be solved by God. She knew, and if you read Genesis 16, she knew that God was the giver of life. So she knew that only God can actually solve her problem. Often we try, if you think about it a little bit, often we try and solve our problems by means of our uh, any kind of means that is at our disposal. We face a problem, and some of these problems actually only God could solve for us. But we kind of revert back to our, our cultural situations, our, uh, the way that we grew up, the, the way that we've been taught, and we kind of find a solution for ourselves in, um, in a difficult uh, problem that we face. Now, that's a little bit of the cultural background. So let's look a little bit at what does that mean? Uh, what's the consequences of this? What was the, what, what did this create in these characters? And what was the atmosphere like in this situation? So in Genesis 12, uh, when Abram heard God for the first time, he took his whole household and then they moved into Canaan, uh, in the land of Canaan. They moved around. But then at a stage there was a famine and uh, he solved this famine by going to Egypt to find food at the Pharaoh. And at this stage, he was very scared to meet the Pharaoh because he thought uh, the Pharaoh's going to take his wife, Sarah, because she was a beautiful woman, and he was going to be killed because Pharaoh would want her. So he also solved his problem by giving his wife to Pharaoh. And we see that Sarah did exactly the same. She gave her maidservant to uh, Abram in the situation to solve her problem. So Abram, the donor, became Abram, the receiver. And Sarai, Sarai, the pawn, became Sarai, the initiator. Hagar has no choice in the matter. She's taken, then given, 
And she's actually only an instrument in this situation. We see how Abram, who is now new, uh, uh, who, who now knew who God was. Remember, he's now in his 80s, and he started off this journey when he was about 75. So by the time Ishmael was born at the end of chapter 16, he was about 86. So he had a lot of time spending with God and God revealing himself to him. So he knew about this miracle-working God. But he stood with his back against the wall with the pressure of this promise, and he looked for a human solution. One of the bad things that happens in this situation is that it's normally the privilege of the mother to, to name the child, but neither Sarah or Hagar had the opportunity to name the child. Uh, Abram, at the end of the day, named the child the name that God gave the child. So Sarah lost, uh, she, she expected Hagar to bear a child for her as a mother, but she lost now that child. So both of the women actually lost in this conflict situation. It is in this cultural and social dynamic that God introduces himself. In chapter 16, and we're going to read this, this is when, uh, verse 13, when, uh, this is when Hagar is sitting at the well, and she's, God revealed the well to her, and uh, he called her by name, and she, this is the first time she met God, and she says this in verse 13, she gave his name, the Lord, who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Beer Laharoi. It is still there today and, uh, that you can see between Kadesh and Baret. Now this, this uh, sentence, I have now seen the one who sees me. I have seen the one who sees me. This teaches us so much about God. The first thing it teaches us about God is that he is knowable. You must understand in the greater context of where the, the societies or the, the nations around them, it was a foreign thing for somebody to know a God, to see a God, to that personally. That, that was completely foreign. It was only seen in the Hebrew, in, in Israel, in the Hebrew nation. So this was a completely foreign thing for her. But we learn here that God is the God who saw her. And that is what she said. You are the God who sees me. This is why the well is called um, Ber Le Aroi. It is still there today. So um, I want us to think a little bit about the whole concept of God making himself known to us. Um, in today's culture, in all the debates that you'll see 
often um, I look at uh, some of the debate, debates between uh, atheists or skeptics, and, and many of them will question this whole thing. Did God make himself known? Is it even possible, or are we left to our own experiences to actually make up who God is and should be. So it is a big question uh, out there today and a very important question for us to understand. Because if it is the fact that God makes himself known, we must understand if we don't, if we don't grasp that, it influences the fact that how we relate to God. It influences how we want to experience the Holy Spirit in our lives. It, it, it influences how we go through suffering. It influences how we look at the world. But the fact that God has made himself known is a huge thing, not just in the Old Testament, but in our day today. And it's a very important thing for us to actually speak about now, we all know that there's an, uh, a, a, a concept out there of the incomprehensibility of God. And that is true. There is an incomprehensibility um, of God. We can't know God exhaustively. We, because he's God. I mean, we, we struggle to explain the Trinity. We struggle to explain the incarnation of Jesus being 100% man, 100% God. We struggle to explain those concepts because we don't have an example of that in our world today that is walking around. So there is a mystery around God on the one hand. But there, I love that. I just want to say I love that because that keeps me to be a seeker. Because it means that as I build relationship with God and as I keep on seeking him, I can learn more about him. And that can teach me how to respond to life better. So there's an incomprehensibility on the one hand about God. We can't know him exhaustively, but there's a knowability about God. He has made himself known to us. We might not be able to know him exhaustively, but we can know him truly, we can know him personally, and we can know him sufficiently. Now I want to read to you 2 Peter 1 verse 2. Just a, it's a greeting. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. We saw that Hagar went from that experience, that meeting with God. She went back to Sarah. She had grace and peace that God would do what he said he would do. Now, I want you to think about grace and peace. The grace and peace that she experienced at that moment wasn't a gift that God gave her. It wasn't a product. It wasn't something uh, uh, that she walked away with because it's something he gave her. It was who he was. It is who he is. He is grace.
grace and he is peace. And if you meet him and the more you seek him and the more you connect with him, and this is what the scripture says, the more your knowledge grows of God, the more you experience that grace and peace because that is who he is. Isn't that phenomenal to think about God? He has made himself known to us. God is knowable and he wants us to know him intimately. Let's read Jeremiah 9 verse 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord, who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to this earth, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, I have spoken. What an amazing scripture. God saying, I delight in the fact that you know me. I want you to know my justice, my righteousness, my love. The Lord says he delights in us knowing him. This knowledge for us that God um, is knowable, and as we meet with him, this leads us naturally to obedience. This leads us to love him. This, this creates in us this passion. And I want to read what Eric Tunese says. He's one of my favorite theologians. If you believe God is knowable and that he has made himself known, it leads to life of a profound conviction and faith. It becomes the divine force in your life and a consuming passion to know him more and to make him known to others. And I want to say that's the consuming passion in my life. I have the greatest job in the whole world. I have the greatest relationship in the whole world. I love to study the word of God because it teaches me more about God. I love putting puzzles together, and every time I learn something more, it feels like I'm putting another puzzle piece in place just to discover this incredible God, the maker of heaven and earth, who wants to know me. And this leads me to my second point. God knows us intimately. He wants to know you. Not just wants to, but he does know you. Hagar did not know God. She was an Egyptian slave. This is the first time she met with God. And he called her by name. He knew her. She didn't have five years of relationship with him. She didn't have a conversion experience even, but he knew her. What an awesome 
thought that God knows us that intimately. He knew intimate details of her life. He knew the trauma that she was going through. He knew that she was in a really complicated situation socially and culturally. He knew her suffering. He knew her by name. Isaiah 43 um, verse 1, the last part says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Just for a moment, think about it. Just close your eyes and think about it. I have called you by name. You are mine. What an incredible thought. Hagar calls this well that God showed her to drink from. The well belonging to the living one who has seen me. He has both revealed himself to her and he has revealed to her that he knows her. So we learn about God that he is knowable and we learn about God that he knows us. She may have been alone, very lonely in her situation. And how many times have you experienced being in a crowd or being um, in a big family even, feeling very alone in your situation? But there she discovered that while no one else saw her as anything more than a problem, God saw her and he knew her. I don't know what you feel today. And if you feel very alone in your situation, even if you're going through a tough time or a, or a big loss in your life and, and you can't even explain that to somebody, you don't even have to explain it to God because he knows you intimately. He says to her, come to the well, come and drink of me. That's basically what he said to her when, when he met with her in that situation. Because he is living water. A well was, an, was essential in Old Testament times. You must understand that was a desert wilderness and a well meant survival for a nation, for a people, for a person. So a well was very important and that well had living water. Just like that, God knowing God and understanding that he knows us, is essential to our survival as human beings, psychologically, spiritually, and physically. It is essential for us to know God because he is the one who brings life. He is the living water, and he wants to come into your life and overflow your life because he loves us. That's what he said in Jeremiah. I want you to know that I love you. 
He wants us to drink from him because he is living water. He wants our lives to overflow with grace and with peace. And the only way we can get that is by meeting him. You see, often today, we want something from God. But he is saying, I want you to meet me. We pray and we say, Lord, I give me grace, give me peace. As if it's something that he must just hand out and give. But it is not something he hands out and gives. It is who he is. So you have to meet him at the well of your suffering, at the well of your trouble, at the well of your, your, your problem that you are facing. You have to meet him at that moment. And then you will experience that grace and peace. So wherever you find yourself today, I want to encourage you. Come to God. Come, in, even if you've been a Christian for years, come to him. Come to the well. Come to the living water. Allow the Holy Spirit to break through, to get personal with you. Allow him to overflow your heart. Let us pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We are your children. You have called us by name. We belong. We belong to you. The maker of heaven and earth. The almighty God. The God who created everything. The God who wants to know us. The God who knows us intimately. The God who has made himself known. And we want to put before you our hearts. We want to surrender before you. And we want to say today, I want to know you. I want to know you more. Lord, create in us a hunger and a thirst for more of you. Help us to be passionately seekers, seeking you every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have never met Jesus, you've never met this God, I want you just, there will come some information on your screen that you can, that you can speak to somebody and tell them, I want to know this God who, wants to, who knows me, who has made himself known. If you have any prayer request, there will be people that would love to pray for you. So on this Mother's Day, on this wonderful, wonderful day, I just want to say to you, you are loved. You belong. He has called you by name. You are his. Bye, everybody. Today, we first take a moment to tip our hats to all the moms out there. We celebrate you for the excellent job you do in wearing many different hats in your homes and workspaces. 
Hats off to you for making all the sacrifices, often without getting recognition. We love and appreciate you, moms. On the topic of motherhood, in fact, parenthood, our Hope Centre is presenting an excellent course for those wanting to improve their parenting skills and better understand the challenges involved in a step or blended family. It starts next on 19 May and takes place online via Zoom. Email hopecourses at hatfield.co.za to register or get more information such as costs. You can also visit their Facebook page at Hatfield Hope Centre to know more. Jen, do you like the idea of running for positive impact? I joined the club and even got the t-shirt. Do you want to be like her and run for positive impact? Join the Love Running Club in a virtual race to raise awareness for funds and cancer. Our Love Running Club was born out of our young adults ministry in 2010. We're a family of runners who strive to make a positive difference through running. You may not be ready to join the club, but you can certainly join us in this race. The virtual race takes place between this Thursday and Sunday, and you have the option to walk or run the 5, 10 or 21 kilometer categories. I think I can certainly take you in the 21k. Well, I don't doubt it, but let's stick with the 10 for now. Visit the Love Running website on screen now and join us in this challenge for charity. That's all the announcements from us. Have a fantastic day and week ahead. Bye. Bye.